0: So there are two readings tonight, and the first reading is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31, and that is on page 1 of your church Bibles. Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground... Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And the second reading is from 2 Corinthians, starting at chapter 3, verse 17. And that is on page 1160 in your Bibles, 1160, starting at chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways, we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ.
1: Thank you very much, Helen, uh, for reading that for us. Um, Years ago, uh, I uh, made my mind up to go and dig up a rose bush uh, that was out the front of our house. Um, and um, so I set out and and started digging Um, and I discovered what some of you may already know about rose bushes uh, which is that the roots are vastly more extensive than you might imagine for a little rose bush Um, now fortunately with this rose bush it was possible to just sort of leave it half done uh, and come back and finish it off the following week Um, sermons aren't like that so um, uh, apologies on two levels. Um, I think that I've started digging on something that I've discovered goes far more extensively uh, than I'd ever dreamt. Uh, and uh, unlike my rose bush, I can't come back next week having done a bit more digging and offer you something uh, adequate. Uh, we've got to go with what I've got. So forgive me for inadequacy, Um, I don't think I've mastered this by any means. Uh, Forgive me that that therefore we will also be quite dense, I fear. Um, So if you're feeling sleepy, um, do whatever you need uh, to try and stay with me um, as uh, we go through this. Um, I know Rachel's prayed. I'm going to pray again because I'm in feeling need of God's help. Uh, Let me pray for us again. Uh, Father God, we we pray that as we come to something that um, touches on so many important issues... um, and also raises great sensitivities uh, that you would, uh, you, you would grant to us greater clarity than, than I feel um, as we come to tackle this. Please have mercy and uh, pray that our thinking together would be profitable uh, in your eyes. Amen. It's a series that we're going to do in three weeks, um, this and then the next couple of weeks. Um, And today is laying a foundation about um, what is this thing, Um, being formed in God's likeness, being made in God's image, what what, what is it, Um, how do we understand it and why does it matter? Um, And then next week we're going to take some of that thinking and apply it to issues at the beginning of life, um, which will particularly mean thinking about abortion. Um, And then in the third week we'll take it to think about the end of life, and particularly that will mean thinking about physician-assisted suicide. Um, So so that's our our pattern for these um, three weeks. Um, What um, what I want to do tonight um, is, as we uh, we tackle the the, the doctrine uh, that mankind is made in the image of God, uh, we're going to see these three things, I suppose. We're going to see why it matters, um, try and see what it is, and importantly, what it isn't, Um, and actually those come the other way around, um, and where it leads. Okay? So, um, first in, why it matters. It won't have escaped your notice that we live in a post-Christian culture uh, here in Western Europe where beliefs and doctrines um, uh, from our Christian past are being steadily set aside and uh, secular, uh, rationalist, scientific doctrines and beliefs are increasingly taking their place. And that includes the idea that we have been made uh, in the image of God because that's a religious idea uh, couched in religious language. Um, And particularly in uh, Western Europe where religious activity has faded, uh, the sense uh, uh, of being made in God's image just just doesn't quite sort of wash anymore Um, and people feel we don't need those kind of religious concepts No need now for us to see human beings as as somehow special or distinct by virtue of having been made in the image of God. uh, We take a much more pragmatic view of our identity. Um, And you will be aware of of lots of people who have written about um, how a a Darwinian evolutionary perspective on people uh, lands us with a very different way of understanding ourselves. Um, uh, One such man would be Bertrand Russell, uh, the philosopher uh, from the last century. Um, He had this to say, his belief that man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. Now, I didn't actually get around to looking up what collocations mean. I'm guessing it means bouncing into each other. Is anyone more widely read than me uh, knows that? It sounds like a sort of bouncing into each other kind of word, doesn't it? So I guess that's what he means. Um, and uh, you can understand that, that that is a scientific mindset um, if you take an entirely material view uh, of uh, our world and therefore our identity. Now, if you do believe that about people, then you pretty soon end up in some fairly strange places. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, uh, again from the last century, um, points out the way... it's a bit too small. No matter, I'll read it. Um, That um, when you take this view of who people are, uh, you end up in funny places because one minute, um, in his writing, as a politician, someone will cry out that war is a waste of life. But then, as a philosopher that all life is a waste of time. Did you see what he's saying? You might want to decry the waste of life that happens in war, but actually, if you take this philosophical material view, then all life is really just a waste of time. It has no significance. So why are you bothered about people killing each other um, is his argument. Um, And he writes on, or they might attend a political meeting where they complain that savages are treated as if they were beasts. Sorry, this is the language of the mid um, uh, sort of uh, 20th century, so different language. He's talking about uh, people from uh, developing countries, that savages are treated like beasts. Then, more on well to a scientific meeting where he proves that mankind practically are beasts. In other words, why would you give dignity to people um, if you are arriving at that evolutionary view that just says we are just an accident, we have no significance? Remove a Christian perspective on the nature of mankind and you lose the main basis for arguing for human rights. Because it's not actually Western thought that establishes human rights. It has been Christian doctrine that has established the idea of human rights. Greek thinking had no qualms about establishing that some people... And indeed, even some whole races had a superior status and others had a completely inferior status. Uh, So here's Aristotle. For that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary but expedient. From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjection, others for rule. He goes on. Indeed, the use made of slaves and of tame animals is not very different. For both with their bodies minister to the needs of life. It's not Greek thinking uh, that establishes the inalienable rights by virtue of being a human being. That was Christian thinking, specifically this idea that we are created uh, in the image of God. Uh, And therefore, this doctrine, remember we're thinking, why does it matter, This doctrine has driven all manner of things uh, that uh, our Western world is very enthusiastic about. It's led to social reform. The overthrow of uh, slavery in the US was bolstered by legal arguments around the conviction that people are made in God's image. Uh, G.K. Chesterton again argued a slave is not in the condition of a horse, the slave is made in the image of its creator. You think that's obvious, but it's only because a Christian thinking has persuaded you of it. Uh, Slavery was undone uh, by arguments around this doctrine. The civil rights movement, Martin Luther King, uh, thought and spoke persuasively about this issue as his driving force for change. Man, he said, is more than a tiny vagary of whirling electrons or a wisp of smoke from a limitless smoldering. Man is a child of God, made in his image, and therefore must be respected as such. It was a critical plank in Martin Luther Luther King's arguments uh, against uh, the oppression of blacks uh, in uh, the United States. Now, the suffragette movement and equality for women Similarly, driven by this conviction uh, that when God made mankind, he made them male and female, he created them, both with equal dignity and status. In all sorts of ways, then, uh, this doctrine that mankind uh, has been made in the image of God has fueled things that, that we see as really important. And letting it go, allowing it to slide out of our culture... Uh, would have some uh, really serious uh, implications. But, uh, here's a bit of a dense bit. You don't even need to let the doctrine go. You only need to misunderstand it. Uh, So come for a moment to consider what this doctrine isn't. Okay, stick with me on this. Some argue that the image of God in mankind is some kind of attribute or capacity. So our ability to reason, to think. Um, Our ability to make moral choices. Our relational ability uh, to relate both to God uh, and to relate uh, to other people. Or or a particular function, our capacity to to rule, which gets mentioned in Genesis. Genesis. Or our capacity to create and particularly to procreate? Uh, Is it this that marks us out in some way as being made in the image of God? Now, of course, it's it's true that that these are qualities um, that the Bible uh, identifies God as having, uh, that God is a rational God. a moral God, pure, um, that God relates in the Trinity, um, three persons, one God, that he rules, that he creates. Uh, And it'd be true to say that to some degree, um, exercising these functions does make us like God to some degree. But but the rub is in that phrase, to some degree. Because... If being made in the image of God, if if this is what it's all about really, it's having these capabilities, these capacities, these abilities, if this is the essence of what it is to be made in the image of God, then it must mean that some have more of those capacities and some have less. So some have more of the image of God in them and some have less. And do you see the implication of that? That means that some have more right to human rights than others do because they've got more of what makes you made in the image of God. Now did you see how important that argument is? Those arguments have fueled terrible attitudes and also terrible crimes against all manner of minority groups. So uh, I've said how a right understanding of the image of God in mankind uh, drove uh, the... um, Um, the movement against uh, slavery and racism in America. But this misunderstanding drove the arguments in the other direction. Because those who wanted to uphold slavery and racism appealed directly to the divine traits of reason and rulership. See, in their view, um, these capacities of uh, reason and rulership were very evidently more obvious in whites. So it was clear that whites better represented God's image, because they had more of those things. And it was reasonable then to continue to denigrate the illiterate people that they enslaved. Did you see how the argument worked? The same ideas fueled Hitler's philosophy. In Mein Kampf, Hitler identified the stronger members of society as images of the Lord, quote-unquote, while weaker members were mere deformities of that image to be cleansed from society. But but don't imagine it's only Hitlers who have misunderstood things in this kind of way. The Christian theologian Thomas Aquinas considered the image of God in mentally compromised people to be practically non-existent. The reformer Martin Luther even advocated drowning a feeble-minded 12-year-old because his limited mental capacities appeared to evidence corruption of his reason and soul. Now, if that's what's happened when you misunderstand the doctrine, do you see what's happening? If we think the image of God in us is a capacity, then you can have more of the capacity or less of the capacity. And those who have less of the capacity can have less rights. And so you can do terrible things to them. And now, if misunderstanding it does that, think what doing away with it altogether does. Just imagine. Actually, you don't need to imagine. Because we see it in the writing and thinking of a philosopher like Peter Singer. You'll have picked up, I'm sure, most people by now have heard some of the outrageous ideas that he's propounding. Um, because he believes that uh, there is no inalienable right of protection that should be given to a human being, that it's just about minimizing suffering. So he's argued that it's entirely justified to kill babies up to 28 days uh, of life if you can show that it would prevent future suffering. And he's an academic, making that argument very clearly and very forcibly. Please understand that, that this is not academic mind games this is what the Academy is beginning to write today. And what the Academy writes today in its intellectual debates becomes the way that we live a few decades down the line. It's not mind games that we're losing sight of these things and beginning to to write about the possibility of being able to um, put to death Uh, People who we don't think have enough of the image of God in them, enough capacity to make their life worth living. It's not academic mind games. People like my own youngest daughter, who has severe learning difficulties, were put to death by Hitler in the Nazi regime because they were contaminating his vision of a pure gene pool. In 1933, one of Hitler's opponents who fled Nazi Germany uh, had this to say. All of Western Christian civilization stands and falls with the words of Genesis. God made man in his image. But if those words are so very important, what do they mean? Uh, we spent a lot of time on that first uh, area. Um, let's consider... Uh, in the remaining time, uh, what these words actually mean. Uh, Come back then to Genesis uh, chapter 1, first of all, Um, and uh, uh, let's reread uh, those relevant verses, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. I think I'm pretty much persuaded that the the language of image and likeness are virtually interchangeable. I don't think there's very much difference. I don't think two different things are being said here. Um, I won't go into the arguments for why that is. Um, if there is even a hint of a difference, then it's probably that image uh, conveys the idea of connection with the original. Um, we, are, we are made in connection and to be connected uh, with uh, the original, that is God. Um, and likeness um, suggests some degree of similarity to that original. But, uh, but I think they're pretty much tied up with the same idea. The key thing, I think, to understand is that this is something that we possess by virtue of being part of the human race. Um, indeed, it's something that belongs to the human race as a whole. The language here moves between kind of plural and singular, um, kind of emphasizing that um, this um, imaging of God is something that the whole human race does, but, but it's also true of an individual um, as well. Um, it's not a quality that we can have more or less of. Uh, it's not something that we can lose because of the fall. I've become persuaded uh, that it's not something that can be marred in us either. Um, we had to change the confession uh, this morning, uh, this evening um, because uh, we use a confession which says we have marred your image in us. I don't think that's true I've never noticed that before thinking it through this week someone may persuade me something differently over the weeks Um, David might because he's very strong on his theology Um, but I, I don't think he will I don't think that we can mar the image of God in us because I think it's something intrinsic to us if we could mar the image of God then again you'd have the same issue some people would have more of it and some people will have less of it I think it is something that we have by virtue of being human beings it's intrinsic to who we are And and I think that becomes clear when we look at two further references. I've thrown them up on the screen. I hope they're going to be big enough. No, they're not. Um, In that case, you may need to do some flicking of pages. Uh, This is Genesis 9. Um, Okay, so um, flick on to Genesis chapter 9 if you want to make sure that I see where I'm getting this from. So 9, 5, and 6. Um, uh, We read and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made mankind. You see what's being said there? Taking a human life is bad, not just because God says it's bad, though that would make it bad, but taking a human life is bad because another human being has been made in the image of God. And so in some sense, taking a human life is an affront to God himself because God made this person in his own image, connected with him. So, so to attack a human being is, is in that sense to attack the God with whom that person is connected. You get the same idea in James uh, 3, verse 9. It should be big, big, bigger, a little bit bigger. Um, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Uh, and James is saying, it shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't do that. Why shouldn't you do that? Well, because cursing somebody who's been made in God's image is a bit like cursing God. You shouldn't do that. Now, do you see the point of these two references? Both these two references come after the fall. And they don't say, you shouldn't curse people who are particularly good. You shouldn't curse people who are Christians. You shouldn't curse people who are very godly. It's just you shouldn't curse people. You shouldn't curse human beings. Just by virtue of being a human being, you're made in the image of God, and therefore you're someone not to be cursed. Not on some sort of scale, just absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and similarly, the argument in Genesis nine for murder. The image is intact post fall. The image is intact because a person is a person. N- not not because of any quality they possess. Um, take take the idea of a coin. I've got a coin here, uh, a pound coin. Um, and uh, you, remember, you remember Jesus having that conversation about the denarius? You remember, should we pay taxes or not? Bring me a denarius, whose image is this? Do you remember that discussion? Well, let I me mean, do the same thing here. Um, it's the image of the queen um, on this pound coin. Now, the coin has the image of the queen on it. It could be that the pound coin in your pocket has got a pretty rubbed-down image of the queen on it because it's been in circulation for a long time. Uh, And therefore, it's only worth 76p. No, of course it's not. It's still a pound, isn't it? It's a pound, it's a pound, it's a pound. It doesn't matter particularly. It it has the image. It doesn't affect um, how long it's been in circulation, how much of the image you can see clearly, etc., etc. It just has the image because it is a pound coin. Um, I hope the illustration works. The, The same idea. You have the image by virtue of being a human being. But there is more to say. I think being created in the image of God is also connected with God's intention for us. He intends and has always intended for us, both as a people but also for us individually as part of the people. He has intended for us to image him, to represent him in his world. And he's working towards that. Um, Genesis 5 borrows some language uh, from uh, from Genesis 1 and 2. Let me just read this. When God created mankind... He made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. It's interesting, isn't it? See, same kind of language, in his own image, in his own likeness. Now, Adam has somebody in his likeness, a bit like God uh, has mankind in his likeness. Now, you know how it is. A baby gets born, and everyone says, oh, he's got your nose. And most of the time I'm thinking, no, he hasn't. He's just a baby. I can't see anything that resembles mum or dad at all. But, you know, I know the things to say, so I say them. But later on, later on, they often do, don't they? You, know, you, you meet my son, you'll see that he, he does look a bit like me. Yeah, you know, we do end up looking like our parents, it's a kind of, it's a there and it will emerge more and more as the years go on, very often. Much to our annoyance a lot of the time. Now, in the same kind of idea, this, this being made in the likeness in his own image. You see, Adam now has a Seth who will be, some sense, a representative for him, going forwards. And it's the same, I think it's the same idea. God has now got his representative He's established the people who are going to image him. And he will get that done. He will get the imaging done. At this point, you've got to notice a little bit something. I told you it's a bit dense. At this point, you've got to think hard about the language. In Genesis chapter one, and indeed in every other reference to mankind being made in the image of god there is always a preposition in the image of god according to the image of god it's always there you you never read mankind is god's image never says that it says mankind has been made in the image of god or according to the image of god Of course, except in one case. There's only one man who is described as that he is the image of God. And that's Jesus. So many times, like Colossians um throw that verse up, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Or in the passage that uh, Helen read for us, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus is described differently to us. He is the image. We are made according to the image. He is the image. In other words, Jesus is the perfect image to which, towards which we are moving. Uh, And that's made clear um, in uh, the verses just at the end of of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when Paul writes that we all are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God is transforming us into the image of Christ. That's his purpose. That's where he's he's taking us towards. Um, You get the idea all over the New Testament. It's there in Ephesians 4, um, 24. Uh, where we say we we, we put off the old self and we're going to put on um, the new self. Did I put that verse up? Next slide. Am I just making it up? Is the next slide there, Matthew? Oh, no, I didn't. All right. Okay, so um, I thought I did Ephesians 4 as well. Maybe I didn't save. that'd be bad. Um, Ephesians 4 um, uh, talks about putting on the new self, um, uh, which is being created in the image uh, of his creator. So what God has in mind is to conform us to the image of his son because his son is the image of God. Right from the very beginning, that's been God's plan. The great dignity of human beings, which makes it a terrible thing to curse them, never mind to murder them, is all tied up with this great intention that God has for us. And that's what it means uh, to be created in his image. Our task is to turn towards him so that we might reflect him. Jesus shows us God. And all the qualities we considered earlier, the the, the, the reasoning, the moral perfection, creativity, the rule... They aren't what it constitutes to be the image of God, but they are what flows out of it. Do you see the difference? They, they, they don't Having those things doesn't make you the image of God, but having the image of God makes you able to do those things. Very important difference. It makes us what God has planned us to be. Now, Tim Keller, uh, when he thinks and writes about this, says his best image is, is like a mirror. Um, And you know how it is um, if you're little and and you you feel like being naughty? You you get a mirror on a hot sunny day um, and you turn it towards the sun um, and uh, you can use it to reflect the sun um, onto something. You can even start fires like that, can't you? Because you're taking the brilliance and the glory of of the dazzling uh, brilliance of the sun and you're catching it on your mirror uh, and shining it into the world. Um, And that captures something uh, of what God intends for us, that that we're designed to be turned uh, towards the one who is the perfect image, to to pick up more of his qualities, more of his sacrificial love, uh, more of his purity, more of his compassion, more of his beauty, more of his strength shown even in weakness. to to capture all of those things by turning towards him, by saying, he's the one that I want to prioritise. He's the one into whose image I'm being conformed. And I work towards that so that we reflect more and more of him in the here and now. The trouble is that we turn to all sorts of other things, don't we? We turn towards... uh, admiration from other people we turn towards success we make those the things that we are orientated towards instead of being orientated towards the God who we are intended and to be conformed to but God marvelously won't let us down he will complete his purposes he will ensure uh, that we are conformed to his image it's the purpose for which he made us and what we'll do over the next uh, couple of weeks um, is consider how this truth, um, this doctrine uh, that we are made in the image of God uh, plays out at the beginning of life, the end of life. I, I have a hunch that um, probably on the third of the weeks we might be able to carve out some time uh, for a bit of to and fro um, uh, with questions, comments uh, that have arisen over the series. If you can bear to see it out that long. Um, You may have had enough tonight. I'm sorry, I warned you, it'd be a bit dense. Um, Let me pray for us, um, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing about this great God. Uh, What honor uh, you have bestowed upon us uh, that uh, you would make us in your image, uh, that you would determine to conform us to uh, the image, um, to the likeness of the Lord Jesus himself. And we pray that, uh, however inadequately I've spoken this evening, uh, something of uh, this great thing that you have done, are doing, will accomplish, uh, would, uh, would move us, inspire us uh, to turn towards you more comprehensively uh, in order that by uh, fixing our eyes on Christ, uh, learning more of him, Uh, we might become those who uh, imitate Christ uh, more fully and completely. Uh, So that the the destination towards which you are taking us uh, when we put our trust in Christ uh, would be increasingly realized in the here and now as by your spirit you uh, transform us into ever-increasing glory. Uh, What honor you've bestowed upon us. Um, It is to your great glory uh, that you have done such a thing. And uh, we want to, to praise you now in song. Help us to do that. Amen.